Hello, everyone. It is then again with the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Glenn, and today we are bringing you a fantastic episode, something that we have developed at the History Center as one of our main teaching tools, and we were able to develop this teaching tool because we had what I will always proclaim as an expert on our staff. You have heard us talk about him, but we finally have here with us the one and only Mr. David French. Hello, David. Hello, Glenn. Glad to be here. (laughs) To keep it brief, if I could go on forever, but tell us about yourself and, and tell us, you know, why history, uh, why the History Center and why you abandoned us for evil. <laughs> hmm, do I have to admit to, the, to, to doing that? Um, well, you just did. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, of course, was always interested in history. It was always a, a hobby of mine. And oddly enough, from a lot of my peer groups, you know, I was I was always friends with the nerdy kids and the, the, the studious types, but I was always pretty singularly interested in history. I, I never really got into fantasy stuff. You know, Lord of the Rings was kind of sort of conventional, you know, stuff. So I, I enjoy some science fiction, but I, even among the nerdy kids, I kind of was my own thing because I, I was like all about everything history. And of course, like most, you know, young boys at some point, I was about military history. I liked like military things because that's exciting to young boys. So that's, uh, that's what I was all about for a long time. Long, long time. And I think that military interest has, as I've grown older, expanded into more of a interest in history in general, driving forces of history. I, I got my bachelor's degree in history. And after that, of course, worked at the History Center for a while. And now I'm I'm on the law route and I'm working as a paralegal. And, and you know, it's worth noting too, David, when how old were you when you first started volunteering at the History Center? I think I was in early high school, maybe. So 14. Yeah. That's, I think that's what I was going to say 14 or 15 before you could drive. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. My my parents, I have the most supporting parents in the world because they always were willing to drive me around to whatever crazy thing I wanted to do. And mother was always extremely energetically supportive. And dad was always, well, kind of in a Bobby Hill way, maybe that that boy ain't right, but okay, we'll let him do do whatever he wants to do. So yeah, good parents who supported my, my, my hobbies. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, he was, he's been a uh, civil war enactor, uh, volunteered at the History Center. And then when we finally got him to the History Center as a paid staff member, technically you were the museum services manager in the front desk. But as it turns out, you have a myriad of talents that we were able to draw from. And one of the ones that I think is so unique and most places don't even think about this, but you brought it to a, to the fore for us was gaming as an educational tool, specifically because mm-hmm. you're at the uh, Northeast Georgia History Center. It was history focused, but you know, game. So, and David is, you've been playing games, I would guess, all your life. Tell us why you like games so much and what kind of games you play. Yeah, that's a good question. So actually, uh, Glenn, before we started this recording and we were just chatting, you'd, you'd mentioned checkers as the first game, but you know, now that I actually think about it a minute, I think I learned chess first. Uh-huh. I know, and I, I know how that sounds, but I actually think what it was, I was, as a young guy, I was very obsessed with all things adult and like thinking. And like, I, I even if I wasn't a smart person, I like desperately wanted to be a smart person. And so I, my uncle and mother, they both knew how to play chess. I remember distinctly not understanding really how to play chess like I knew how the pieces moved 
but I thought that it was a game uh, and that was like, you know, seven or eight at this time, but I thought it was a game about like doing sneaky things like, oh, you'll do something and then the other person won't see it and that's how you'll, but I didn't really understand. Well, the you're, 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 you're still not far off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But like, I was like, they'll never notice that I did this thing. That's very obvious. You know, like it was like a seven year old would. Right, exactly. It was, there was not a lot of strategy to it, but I did. I did learn how the pieces move pretty early and I, I wanted to love chess and I actually, I didn't understand it. It was, it was, I was not ready for chess at that age, I'll be honest with you. And then I later came back to it and enjoyed it much more in high school. But, uh, but I guess chess was probably an early game that, that I gave, gave specific consideration thought. And as far as games with, history though i think it kind of springs from that interest in chess it was like ah, oh, okay so chess is sort of a strategy maybe maybe you could call it a war game perhaps but you know that, that might be pushing the definition a little bit but coming from that i could say oh well okay i'm interested in military history and here's this thing like chess and so we'll play military history but we'll play it like chess and we'll like we'll have a war game that's about this and lo and behold there's a very considerable community of people all over the world that do this very thing. They do it in all sorts of ways, either through war combat themed board games, something that many people are familiar with are, are very simple games like Risk, more of a, a numbers game that sort of has a military gloss over it. I think, I think Axis and Allies is relatively popular. So that was one of the early war board games that I played. Again, I, th I think that was about high school, late middle school, early high school time that I first played that game. Right. And yeah, so there was definitely, and this is all in a hobby context. This isn't necessarily in an educational context, like I'm going to teach sure. someone. At, yeah, not at this, not at that point. And I think I uh, sort of the germ of the idea that war games, and I know we're talking a lot about war games here, but it expands beyond war games to other topics as well. But war games can be used as a teaching tool by a very interesting website that I think is still it still exists called juniorgeneral.org and that website is run by a guy who I believe his name is Matt Fritz and he's he's not confidential about who he is or anything so I, I think I'm okay sharing that but he is a middle school teacher who would use uh, paper soldiers that the students would cut out and glue on bases and things to have like a middle school games club where they would have these historical war games using these paper Paper soldiers, and he posted these scenarios and paper soldiers and things on his website. And I think that was probably where the the germ of the idea that these could be teaching tools came from, at least for me. Back then, I, I wasn't too keen on painting, and so I was like surfing the web for easy, you know, soldiers. And just, I later just print them out and glue them, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I, that's that's what brought me there. If you just you know, if you Google searched print paper soldiers or something, his website will come up. But really his website was about using these games as teaching tools. So I would say that was probably the beginning of that thought. And that would have been middle school time for me, I think. Right. I'm sure it sounds like he was probably focusing on teaching military history with those mm -hmm. uh, because mini say, you know, miniature war games, not necessarily board games, but miniature war games have been around for a while. So, mm -hmm. you know, to, to sort of set the stage for where the, I don't know if you want to call it the, the profession, quote unquote, is not really the word, but sort of the the genesis of history games is 
is war games. Mm-hmm. So, so take, and I know you've studied this too. So take us down just a brief journey of how war games came to be. They weren't, you know what, you know, this talk, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so war games. And I think for the audience, I can define a couple of terms here that might make this easier to envision. So you have a board game, right? Which everybody understands that we've all played Monopoly or, or even Risk or something like that, where you have a board and usually there's defined areas on the board where your pieces move like a chessboard or, you know, the territories in risk or the spaces in monopoly or whatever. But then you have also another category that is fairly unique to both the war gaming and also, uh, I guess, the role-playing game kind of feel is a miniatures game where oftentimes you have a no definitions of your playing space, be it you're playing on a table or perhaps you're playing on a floor. You know, it's just, that's just your play space. There's no spaces that you use to regulate movement. And you may measure uh, with uh, rulers or tape measures or something. And that's how your pieces move. There may be certain rules to govern how quickly your pieces move, how they interact with each other, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very open-ended sort of concept that can be applied to several different things, d- different genres, perhaps. But broadly speaking, they have reached their uh, development mostly as war games games and role-playing games. One of the earliest known progenitors, there's a $2 word, um, <laughs> of, war, of miniature gaming was none other than the fiction writer H.G. Wells. And around the early 1900s, it was, I want to say it was after 1905, but certainly before 1914, I can't put an exact date to it, but he wrote a set of rules which are absolutely delightful and are a joy to read, even if you're not interested in the game itself. And it's called Little Wars. And that was a game sort of circumstance where, well, and a friend of his were just hanging out, having tea as British people do. And someone spied a toy artillery piece that would shoot little wooden dowels. And it was suggested that you could set up toy soldiers and and shoot at them with this artillery piece. And that was the early beginnings of what became a fully fleshed out game where you could move the soldiers around on the floor, you could move the artillery pieces, cavalry had certain rules, and it became this sort of open-ended chess game of sorts. That's how they would have described it. It's, it's similar to chess in the sense that it's a martial competition, but it's dissimilar from chess in a game theory standpoint in that, again, it's, it's free moving on a play space. There's no bases that your men move in, measure, that sort of thing. So that was sort of the beginning of modern war gaming as it is known. The, there was also some professional military uh, military gamers around the same time, around the turn turn of the century, 20th century, that is. The Prussian army, which progenitor to the German army, let's see, actually the original Prussian game probably goes back to, I think, the 1830s or 1840s, uh, so well before the turn of the 20th century. But they um, had a game called Kriegspiel, which literally translated from German is war game. That was, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. The, the, Very clever, the, those Germans. Yeah. 
compound words, yeah. <laughs> and they were thinking, though, from a professional soldier standpoint. That was less meant to be a pastime and more meant to be a method of training staff officers and professional military soldiers. It was more of a, a simulation than a pastime game. But again, it's sort of an early example. And perhaps you could say then games have always been a, or war games in this context, have often been a teaching tool for a very long time that, you know, that that was their purpose. It wasn't necessarily to have fun, although I suspect it probably was somewhat fun, but it was to te teach a lesson. That was the, that was the original Kriegspiel intent. And so, yeah, that's it. The, the hobby really developed, though, sort of backtracking to H.G. Wells as a, rec you know, as a recreational activity and really flourished. Wells himself, it's noted, was a pacifist and, in fact, gave up the game for understandable reasons after World War One. I, I, I don't think the game was much played after 1914 by Wells. His own philosophies of the world sort of it, it just became distasteful to him to play the game. And, you know, as a war gamer myself, I, I, I have to respect that perspective. The well, and, and I don't want to go too far down that that rabbit hole, mm -hmm. but, you know, we, we can we can go ahead and get get this out of the way because I think it is worth something to at least touch on is war games themselves uh, have been teaching tools, been professional development tools. Uh, and a lot of people do play them for, quote, fun, including you and I. Absolutely. But you are also one of the most thoughtful and intellectual people I know and are, and are very conscious of, let's say, the world. Speak to me just for a second, speak to our audience just for a second about the reconciliation between generally being against, not necessarily against, understanding that war is horrible, mm. not being a warmonger, and yet enjoying and learning from specifically war games. Yeah, I think that we can draw somewhat of a distinction here between being for or pro or desirous of actual real life violence and and the interest in um, perhaps simulating violence. I, I don't think that there's necessarily a connection between those two things. You know, I don't think that playing a game when toy soldiers perish is necessarily, you know, a sign of an inherently violent streak or, or anything like that. I think, and, and it's funny because this is a topic that I, in my own mind, I haven't totally come to a conclusion on about what interests, you know, young boys in particular, usually it's not to be exclusionary, but just it seems to be boys in military things and military art, the martial uh, activity. And I don't know if it's something perhaps inherent in competition. So yes, you know, we engage in this competitive thing, or perhaps, you know, the social reverence that paid towards soldiers in history, or perhaps even it's just as simple as from the historian standpoint, being interested in other people's experiences in time, both those good experiences and perhaps not so good experiences. Perhaps it's the interest in events that shape our modern world, such as wars. Unfortunately, they, you know, you, you can't deny that conflict and, and war have not been an absolutely defining feature on all of human history. They, they so, yeah, they, they really have. So, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure which of that it is. It maybe it's some of all of it, but there's, you can't deny at the end of the day that there's an interest in military things for a lot of people. And I don't think that that interest necessarily means that you're interested in violence per se. 
So, right. Well, of course, I, I mean, I'm going to agree with you, of course, but yeah, yeah. but just, but just, I know some members of our audience may, may sort of be asking that question. Uh, so, it's a, yeah. It's a fair question. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. So, Actually, uh, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. Sorry. I'll say, I'll say one last thing on that. Actually, HG Wells himself, who I mentioned was a pacifist and yet developed this, this war game. He offers that perhaps the more violent tendencies of humanity could be satiated by war games. And that he posited, and of course he's sort of joking, but um, he posited that, you know, maybe we should just get all of the warmongers and tyrants of history in some big gymnasium and get give them a bunch of toy soldiers to play with. And then humanity will be all the better because they'll be kept busy and uh, not bother anybody. So... <laughs> <laughs> Or, or even, or even if we just develop uh, a war game so complex that national conflicts can be decided peacefully without the loss of life. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and now that I think about it, that may be an original Star Trek episode. Oh, that's not, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's sounds not. about right. <laughs> <laughs> I well, can see it. <laughs> yeah. So this, oh, David, of course, you and I could go on like this for a while. So what I would like to do, we could, we could go ahead and wrap this episode up, and then okay. uh, I think we can move on to another episode next week because I do want to get into how we get, I think it's important to set the dynamics of of the beginning of war games as strategy, rule sets, and things like that, and move from that to how we develop not just war games, but but educational games that address all sorts of history to help people learn Mm -hmm. what the dynamics are and what the turning points are and how could they have been different? Were they inevitable, et cetera, et cetera. You going to be good with that? You join us next week? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Well, folks, we'll wrap it up this time and try to keep within our time frame. We hope you have enjoyed this week's episode. Tune in next week when we rejoin with Mr. French. And until then, stay safe and take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. We also hope you'll join us for our free weekly live stream programs on Facebook Live and YouTube Live every week at 2 p.m. Eastern. Just search for the Northeast Georgia History Center and we'll pop right up. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.